This is Project A Plus. My name is Hunter. You're Hugh. Uh, it's a podcast about movies. But this isn't just any episode of Project A Plus. Ah, oh, Jesus. Yeah, you're right. What is it, Hugh? It's a holiday special. And which holiday does this special relate to? Hanukkah? No. Um, Kwanzaa? Yes. Oh, great. Glad that we cleared <laughs> that up. But um, we, we talked about films. We have a, a great holiday special on for you today. We watched two holiday-themed movies and one non-holiday-themed movie. Holiday adjacent. All of them are, no. All of them are recent-ish releases uh, within the last year or so. Uh, we watched um, Ryan Johnson's new film, Knives Out. Uh, and we also tackled two of the very specific genre of Vanessa Hudgens' fronted... Netflix original Christmas-themed romantic comedies, The Princess Switch, and also The Night with a K Before Christmas. So let's um, get on with it, Din. What you wear on your body. Tell me about the armor of God. What you wearing on your body. Great, go, go ahead then. Armor of Gods. Armor of Gods. Uh, I'm wearing uh, navy blue pants um, rolled up at the uh, ankles because it's too, they're too long for me. I'm also wearing uh, that sort of light pastel green swamp coloured t-shirt that I described mm. on the last episode and I've just described again and that's it. And some socks and clog things. What about you? Um, I'm wearing... Uh button-up shirt that has some sort of cat on it, uh, some mm-hmm. uh, khaki pants, and some blue socks that have orange anchors on them. Cool. Moving on. Reels on reels on reels on reels on reels. Reels on reels on reels on reels So I had a uh, cup of filter coffee prepared manually by yours truly. Mm. And in addition to that, I had... Three wheat bicks. What? That is three bricks of wheat under the brand name Wheat Bicks, which is a thing I expect you don't really have in the United States. So what did I do with those three bricks of wheat? I put them in a bowl. I doused them in hot water so they essentially dissolved into mush. And I added some leftover golden syrup from my promo shoot and some molden sea salt flakes. It was a weird, stupid breakfast 
and I ate it just so I could say something different on this segment. It sounds disgusting. It like it actually harkens back to a breakfast that I would eat, or even like a, a late supper that I would eat as a child, which is where you'd have these these bricks of wheat. You'd put hot water to sort of dissolve them into mush. You'd put honey in it, and then you'd normally finish it off with milk, and it becomes kind of cereal-like. Anyway, what what have you consumed today? Well, let's see. I um, actually had something different for breakfast too. What? I had a piece of rye toast with some jam on it. Mm-hmm. And then for lunch, I had some leftover stew, which is potato and quinoa and sweet potato and kale, and mushroom, wow. feta cheese. Good stuff. And then for dinner, uh, I just finished eating a bowl of leftover pasta, which was uh, caprese theme. So basil, mozzarella cheese, pasta, tomatoes, balsamic vinegar, sauce, good stuff. And that's it. Fault. Talk about that fault. What's going in the vault? Oh, what's coming out? So normally we would launch straight into a segment called Air Diaries, which I'm sure our uh, hardcore listeners are familiar with and big fans of, surely. Uh-huh. Um, but we have decided, in the interests of economy, to confine that segment for the time being to our famous vault. Creak! All right, let's chuck that Air Diaries shit into the vault. <laughs> Okay, moving on to our main feature, the aforementioned Knives Out. Knives Out, just one thing further. Knives Out, who done the murder? Knives Out, not one more word or I'll shout. Knives Out, Knives Out. So the film is Knives Out. It was written, produced, and directed by one Ryan Johnson. He's made such films as Brick, Looper, The Brothers Bloom, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Some movies that I've seen. I think I have only seen, prior to Knives Out, The Last Jedi, Mm -hmm. and Looper. That's funny. I've I've seen all of his films, except for Looper. So Knives Out centers on uh, a couple. Mm -hmm. Nick Spitz, uh, who's a New York police officer... What? And uh, his wife, Audrey. Oh, boy. Audrey really wants to visit Europe because, uh, you know, her husband's always promised you're, that they, you're would, doing a great, they would go you're on doing a great bit. And uh, after their, their anniversary oh. dinner, like, she confronts him and she's like, you know, we really have to go on this trip. And he's like, yeah, all right. Anyway, so they go on this, uh, this trip. They meet this uh, famous aristocratic dude. He invites them onto his luxury yacht. Yeah, I, I hate you. Suddenly, this uh, this billionaire dude like dies. Die, all his die, family is die, there. Die, die, die. They all die. had motives because they want his inheritance, and uh, he was you know freezing them out of his inheritance in favor of a non-family member who was close to him. Uh, I think I see the mistake I've made. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm going to... I hate you. (laughs) I'll just get on with this stupid podcast. All right. I'm so sorry. 
Okay, so Knives Out by Ryan Johnson. Yes. Is a murder mystery inspired by classic Agatha Christie yarns and other drawing room mysteries of the era. Uh And it centers around a uh, crime novelist named Harlan Thromby, Mm. who lives in luxury, surrounded by his family and their respective spouses um, in this uh, elaborate mansion, country house thing, right? I'm on track? Yes, you're on track. Suddenly they discover that uh, his throat has been slit in an apparent suicide. But is it a suicide? Enter the police and a whimsical private detective played by Daniel Craig, who is there for some reason. Who, um, we should tell our, our famous Daniel Craig story. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you recall to that, um, that diner in, uh, <laughs> in Brooklyn? I do. That was the diner I, I, I frequented when I was staying in, uh, was it Bushwick? Bushwick, yeah. I was staying in Bushwick and it was Tina's Kitchen or something like that. I think the diner was called. I, th- I believe it's called Tina's Place, but I could be wrong. Yeah, Tina's Place, I think you're right. And on the wall of Tina's Place, there are all sorts of photos, you know, like there are in diners. And uh, one of them was of Mr. Daniel Craig. Indeed. <laughs> uh, who looked, he, if I remember, he sort of looked really bad. <laughs> uh, that's our Daniel Craig story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, knives out. Okay. So Daniel Craig is leading the investigation, even though he's not the police. Uh, the actual police is Lakeith Stanfield and some other guy. Noah Segan, um, who's apparently just a friend of Ryan Johnson. He's <laughs> in all of his movies. Then we start uh, seeing each of the members of the family presented to the cops and Daniel Craig, and we get introduced to them. So who are they? Who are they? There is uh, Linda Drysdale, who is Harlan's daughter, who is a... I can't remember. She's like a... She's apparently a real estate mogul. Yes. Played by... Played by... Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. There's her husband, Richard Drysdale, played by Don Johnson, Mm -hmm. who's just a husband. There's their son, Hugh Ransom Drysdale. Ah, Do you like like that? His name was Hugh. Mm-hmm. Played by um, Mr. Captain America himself, Chris Evans. There is Johnny Thombry, who played by Tony Collette, who is the widow of uh, Harlan's deceased son, Neil. <laughs> he was kind of a Gwyneth Paltrow-ish goop person. Instagram influencer. Yes. Uh, there is her daughter, Meg... Uh, he's like a, you know, a lib, goes to a, a, a expensive school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's Walter Thromby, uh, he's put on Michael Shannon, who is uh, another one of um, Harlan's sons, uh, who runs his publishing company. Uh, there is his son, Jacob, uh, who's a Nazi. <laughs> That's pretty much the characterization we get. Uh, then there's... Donna Thromby, who's Michael Shannon's wife, who's played by Ricky Windholm. Uh, and Fran, who's their housekeeper, played by Edie Peterson. And finally, there's Marta, who's played by uh, Anna Diarmas, who is Harlan's caregiver and nurse. Yes. 
That's our cast of characters. Our colorful cast of characters. Mm. Yes. There's a murder mystery. Yes. What actually happened? Should we spoil it now? Or is that a question you're asking rhetorically? Let's have a spoiler section after we talk about it more generally first. Okay. So we will announce that we'll be spoiling the film at a certain point. And if you haven't seen it yet and are interested in seeing it, I would absolutely recommend not listening to the spoiler part until you've seen it. Mm. So that's the film. What did I think of it? Is it, is it? Are those the words you're fumbling for? My question is, and I'm going to phrase it in my own unique way. Mm. What did you think of it? Mm. It's an interesting question, you. You know, I feel like this film is kind of designed to frustrate me to some degree. Mm. Mm. Um, in that it, you know, the narr- the the mystery it itself is is set up well. I like this type of film. I, I grew up reading Agatha Christie. I quite like the the mechanics of the who's done it genre quite a bit. I find their pleasure in watching them unfold. But I think that I was sort of set up to hate this film because of its sort of uh, strange liberal politics on one hand. Mm. It feels like this film, a lot of the dialogue was imported straight from Twitter conversations to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I found that annoying. So yeah. I, I think the foot, the movie got off uh, on the wrong foot for that reason. Uh, I thought, um, you know, it's just a confluence of things. I thought, thought the performances were a little annoying. Uh, just, 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 just this sort of um, a vicious circle of things. But, but, Hugh, I have to admit that maybe after the first 20 minutes or so, I really enjoyed this movie. Hmm. That was a twist. Yeah. I, I think it had, uh, you know, th- those those um, faults having been said, I think there are, are a lot of pleasures to be had in the way that the mystery of this film unfolds. Um, and I enjoy the way it sort of plays with convention, which we'll talk about later. Uh, and also think that uh, I don't think Daniel Craig gives a I don't know if he if it's a good performance necessarily, but I certainly enjoyed it. So, mm. um, and you know there you know while, while a lot of the dialogue sort of fell f- a bit flat for me, uh, and maybe this is in part because I saw it at uh, ten thirty in the morning <laughs> with my friend in a mostly empty theater. I also saw it at ten thirty in the morning in a mostly empty theater. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if some of the the um, effect wouldn't be heightened if I had seen it with a bigger crowd, you know. Yeah, one that was more into the jokes. Yeah, I can imagine this. This would be this would be good to see with a receptive crowd, which I think I'm going to do on Saturday. So, wow, we'll see. But uh, I I thought a couple of the jokes were really funny, um, and all in all, you know, I thought it was solid. It was a nice. It was mm. it was a it, it kind of I feel like uh, most of the films this year I've either. There's like three modes. Either I I've loved them, they've been okay, but I haven't really felt anything for them, or I've loved them. That's like the three modes we've been working in, right? Mm. And I kind of like this movie because you know it's good, but it's not great. It's it's a solid three and a half stars. That's how I feel about it. And I kind of like that that quality of of just being uh, uh it, was, it was it was good. It was a good time with the movies. So yeah, that's how I felt. Interesting. 
Yeah, though I did think it was, we could call it problematic, but there's some, like, odd racial issues, which we, we could talk about. Yeah. Um, but what, what did you think? <clears throat> Look, I wasn't interested in being contrarian about this film. I was genuinely looking forward to it, despite harboring some reservations about Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker. Mm. Uh, like you... I have a weakness for old-fashioned drawing room style mysteries. And I, I think there is room to have fun with the genre in a kind of revisionist fashion, you know. Mm. And let's not forget, this formula already proved itself viable with Adam Sandler's Netflix contracts, <laughs> Know the up. Mystery. <laughs> a film we are, we are both on record as having adored. So. <laughs> oh, fuck you. I just want to qualify my comments by saying I really, really wanted to like this movie. And, and look, I agree with you, it does have things going for it. The, the cast, I think, was pretty strong. Um, it's clear that, that Daniel Craig relished every, I say, every word. And even though, even though a lot of the, the characters are, like, little more than sketches and yeah. or archetypes, I guess, which is kind of par for the course, most of the actors make some impression, I think. Yeah. Um, the, the central mystery, I thought, was, was pretty cleverly plotted. Mm. And I do think that, that Johnson strikes the right balance between subversion and love letter when it comes to the tropes of the genre. Mm. Even even the class satire, which I, is far from subtle, yeah. did at least feel in keeping with the overall tone of the film. Yes. And I actually think that the tonal balance uh, of the film as a whole was impressive because I think the way it integrated some political commentary that even had contemporary residents with, with a clear point of view... Mm without collapsing the, the souffle, as it were, was was pretty well done. Mm. It didn't, like, destabilise yeah. the the fun. Yeah. I just want to be clear that I think there are a lot of things that this film does really well. Mm. But, but, oh, no, that's the end of my notes. I guess that means I did like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's another fucking twist. <laughs> Double twist. We both have the same idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's, enjoy- it's enjoyable. Um, yeah, I actually found this. I actually found this very satisfying. On the terms that the film establishes for itself, I think it's a success. Mm. I do agree that it kind of fits a nice niche in that it's not a masterpiece by any stretch. No, but is a really satisfying like holiday movie. Yeah, I, I would agree. I could definitely see myself watching this with my parents. You yeah, know, yeah, it's and it, it's it's super entertaining, and its appeal yeah. is broad enough that it's unlikely to be like divisive within your family, right? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if the political. Yeah, I guess depending on your depending on your specific family's political views. Yeah, my my parents would not have problems with it, but um, I do wonder how this film would hold up on like a second viewing. Well, I'll find out. But I don't want to take anything away from. Johnson's achievement, mm. even if it doesn't hold up that well, because it works the way it's supposed to do, which is yes. to surprise you in the, in the first instance. It does the job. Yes. I was kind of dreading a, a disappointing reveal or like an exhaustive final act. Yeah, I was kind of, I was, I was too, and I'm kind of glad that it doesn't do that necessarily. No, yeah, I think he does pull it off. I don't know. Like, I, I thought there'd be something really dumb, you know, like him be, still being alive or something, some nonsense like that. But I think the way that the mystery resolves itself is quite satisfying. Yeah. I really don't have any significant complaints mm. about this film. 
I mean, I kind of agree with you. I think you, you did hit the nail on the head when you said it, it sounds like some of the dialogue and, and political messages feel like they were ripped from Twitter. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't really have a huge problem with, with any of that. What I particularly liked is, you know, like the character of the alt-right troll Nazi son. Yeah, I, I agree. He was he was well drawn. <laughs> hey, I really enjoyed... There's a specific line of dialogue where Daniel Craig is like really terrible, great Southern accent. It's just like the the Nazi boy masturbating in the, in the bathroom. That was, that was great. It's so funny. And I, I just like the idea of like the that kid scrolling through like Star Wars message boards, yeah. and it's like Ryan Johnson's revenge on on that particular side of the the fandom. Uh, I, I will say this movie was exponentially improved by the fact that there was uh, a homeless man in the front row of my theater <laughs> who, who was so into the movie. You would like cheer when anything would happen. You'd be like, oh shit, it was great. It was, it was kind of a crazy screening because at first we moved several rows up, up, up at my friend's behest because the homeless man smelled really bad. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's a guy next to us who spent the first like hour of the film sleeping and snoring really loudly. <laughs> so it's a testament to the film that I was able to enjoy it despite all this stuff. Despite being confronted with class inequality of the most profound kind. Exactly. Exactly. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. But I, I will say, I do think that the um, Anna D. Armas character is a little, I don't know, there's something a little um, off about just this, like, good-hearted immigrant character. Too flawless. It almost seemed a little performative, yeah. Well, when we, when we spoil it, which we will now, the reveal is that she didn't do anything wrong. She was perfect. Yeah. I kind of want to like it if there's, like, a little bit of, like, amoral action on her behalf, right? Yeah, some culpability. Yeah, but... It still works regardless. What I really liked about the way this is structured, the way the mystery is done, mm. is that it, it sets it up as a very conventional Agatha Christie style yeah. mystery, right? And then it transitions into the inversion of that, essentially, because it, it reveals actually what happened to the Thombry dude quite early on. Mm. And then it becomes a different style of detective fiction, which is the Columbo school, mm. where we know who the killer is and how they did it. Mm. And, and we follow essentially the detective uncovering the mystery. Although in this case, our alliance is with the culprit because it was accidental, right? Yes. I really liked the way that like, it kind of deflated the mystery early on yeah and transition to a different film so it sets up a completely different expectation for how the film is going to play out mm. and you go through a large stretch of the film in this particular mode and then it actually turns out that there is a nice agatha christie style reveal at the end as well that ties those two things together i thought that was that was a, an ingenious way of approaching the genre i think yeah i agree because the, the, the suspense of this film is less, um, you know, learning about how the, the detective is going to uncover the clues, but rather how can the protagonist, like, prevent the clues from being uncovered. Yes. There's sort of, there's very interesting dynamic with that. Did you like that the character's name was Hugh? 
Uh, yeah, this is the one thing I was I was hoping we get to cover if we were going to spoil it. Is that like our plot point hinges around my name? Mm. Yeah, it does. Did you? Were you like yes? <laughs> but not only the fact that a plot point hinges around my name, but like a witless pun on my name that I grew mm. up enduring. So you were actually traumatized by the film. I was. Yeah. Now you had some quibbles with its perhaps racial politics. Did you say? Yeah, I mean, just the way it's just like this, you know, good-hearted, I don't know, it seems so, like, standard and <laughs> not to invoke our, our best-known and, and uh, well-used, um, uh, you know, term we we invented, but a little woke screamy about it. <laughs> but not, not really, also, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, like, a conventional woke screen. No. Because it's trying to make that the substance of the film to some degree, as yeah. opposed to just decoration. It's just that it is, you know, it's it's obviously a bit simplistic the way the characters are drawn and yeah. But I did I did like some aspects of it, like the way that uh, every member of the family would say that she's from a different South American country. Yeah, I just wish that movie hadn't been so stereotypical in depicting her, right? You know. Yeah, that she was afforded a little bit more depth as opposed to just being an archetype for good-heartedness, really. Yeah, and and the, like you know, good-hearted you know, sort of simple immigrants, kind of a offensive stereotype in its own. But it's not, like, simple necessarily, just the... But, I mean, this film does, like, traffic in archetypes. I don't think it ever goes beyond that with anybody. Yeah, that's true. I do I think it's kind of nice that you could take your less enlightened family members to this movie and annoy them a little bit. Mm. I, don't mind, I don't mind the idea of doing that, because otherwise yeah. it's in the package of something that's very enjoyable and holiday-friendly. Yeah, yeah. And I did like the way when the family's having, like, a squabble about illegal immigration in America. Yeah. Don Johnson is like, no, come over here. Come, tell us your perspective. You came here legally, you know. I thought that was good. That that felt real to me. And also uh, the fact that the the supposedly woke daughter sells out her to her family. Yes. I thought that was, yes. that was, that was probably the most cutting bit of the film, I think. Because, mm. you know, the... the um, audience for this one was presumably fairly like liberal and middle class so i feel like that's like the character that a potential viewer would identify with of that family you know and they like sort of cutting it out from under them yeah essentially by the end of the film he has revealed every single member of this family or anyone who's even connected to it other than marta to be and also the housekeeper anyone but i guess the staff yeah is is a piece of shit hmm so Good stuff. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Pass a piece of pizza, baby. I want some pizza. Lay me out a slice. Fetch a felon feature for me. It's a police story. Dig them fights. Yeah, I have not had any pizza. <laughs> me either. Okay, well, uh, that's pizza story. So, I mean, I did think about having some pizza just for this segment, <laughs> but funny. I didn't. I feel like I've said pizza in a couple weeks. Yeah, well, I guess I had some last time. Anyway, um, okay, let's uh, move on to the Princess Switch, the first of our uh, Christmas spectacular. Christmas Prince, Hugh. The Princess Switch. The Christmas Prince. The Princess Switch. 
I kept doing that as well. Even when I was like searching for the Wikipedia page, I was like, hang on, this is not the film I watched. In fairness to me, the Princess Prince features in this film. It does indeed. God. Oh, man. But we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get into this. So what is the Princess Switch? So the Princess Switch follows uh, young American baker Stacy DeNovo, okay? Oh, night. What? She was a young American. I, I didn't say I didn't say young American. You did. No, I said American baker. You said young American baker. I don't. I don't think so. Well, you can just you, in, you can just insert whatever I said. I don't, it doesn't matter. Young American baker. Y- young American baker. Young American baker. She's a baker. She goes in Chicago. Um. She has a friend named something. What's what's the guy's name? Kevin. Kevin. Um, and he has a daughter. Um, she's just gone through a breakup. Oh. And you know she's having some trouble getting over uh, her heartbreak because uh, she was dumped. And Kevin has, unbeknownst to her, entered her name into. A world-class baking competition, which seems to be nationally sponsored. It's unclear. In this small uh, European country? <laughs> um, kingdom. Kingdom. Well, I don't, I don't know. That's <laughs> what it says. It says a prestigious baking competition in the kingdom of Belgravia. We should just say this is a fictional place. This doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, the film was shot in Romania, which is not a kingdom. So uh, initially she's uh, hesitant to enter this competition. Uh, I imagine that, uh, you know, I I think bakeries probably make a lot of money during the holiday season. So it seems a little irresponsible of him to just sign her up without, you know, checking the books first. And also, you know, he has a young daughter and uh, her livelihood also depends on the success of the store. And they're apparently the only two people who work there. So they're shutting down the bakery for an extended period of time. Yeah. So so who knows how much money they're losing. But... um, a bitter um, encounter with her ex, uh, who has gotten into another relationship and is flying to some other place for the holidays, um, convinces Stacy to hop on this plane and do it. And there's also this mysterious, magical uh, Salvation Army man, <laughs> too. Yes. Gives her some sage advice and tells her to follow her or some shit. So she goes to Belgravia, um, and it's just like this quaint little Christmas-themed town. (laughs) 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 So I guess there are uh, uh, office buildings that you see later in the film. So I don't know. I don't know. Their primary export is uh, Christmas. Every every year on on December twenty fifth, it is both the most joyous and the grimmest day of the year. Because they traded their Christmas finery for the rags uh, that that define their um, their lives when they're not Christmas eating it up. Um, anyway, so um, they get started on this baking competition. Her rival, uh, I don't know, I don't really understand what they what the um, problems that they had, but you know, some sort of rival who I, I thought was rather offensively played by a red haired actress. Mm. Which we'll, we'll get to this. Why this trust them, redheads? We'll, we'll we'll get into why this is offensive later in the in the the podcast when we discuss the other movie today. Um, but uh, I don't know. They have there's a rivalry or something. 
Um, and um, for reasons that I have forgotten, she gets coffee spilled on her apron uh, and runs off to go find another apron. And in the back room of where this baking competition is taking place, she runs into someone who looks exactly like her. And it happens to be the Duchess of another kingdom, whose name I've forgotten, who's getting married to the prince. Uh, her name is Margaret. Duchess of Montanero. Okay. Um, and rather immediately suggests that they swap places. Uh, and what? Yep. So that she can get a feel for the kingdom so that she's not just walking in blind um, when she gets married to the uh, the prince. Um, so they do it. They She swaps places without much hesitation. And complications ensue from there. Will some people fall in love, Hugh? Maybe. Will they fall in love with the two main male characters in the movie? <laughs> probably. Probably. We'll see. All right. So, what do you think of this movie, Hugh? What do you think I thought of this movie? Mm. I bet you liked it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> now, Hugh, Hugh. But before you before you say anything else, what did you think I thought of this movie? I don't think he liked it. Well, we'll get into that. So I watched this film with a, a big stupid grin plastered across my big stupid face. Mm. At least when I wasn't actively crying. <laughs> <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? I think I did cry. I can't remember at what. Because wow. I don't think there was anything that really justified it. But still. No. Maybe I was a little teary at some point. Look, the uh, the, the central conceit is is goofy, obviously. The logic of the plot is deeply flawed, <laughs> and uh, the attempts to balance out the, the blatant class fantasy that is at the heart of this film are unconvincing, <laughs> to, to say the least. <laughs> Wait, you weren't, you weren't convinced by the, the noble's act of generosity towards the orphans? And, and I will also say that the generic beady-eyed white British guy, who is the prince, <laughs> had a weird haircut. <laughs> I, I agree. And I refer specifically... To the gap between his hairline and the arc around his ears. I also noticed this so strange. What is the deal? <laughs> Why would anyone get that haircut? Is this like a, a Belgravian custom? <laughs> <laughs> well, we only see one other man from Belgravia, right? So I, I thought that was the greatest offense of this film. But, <laughs> mm. but anyway, those issues aside, I don't care. This film works exactly on the terms it establishes for itself. Mm. Vanessa Hudgens, I think, is pretty good in the lead. Mm. It's fun. It's completely forgettable. It's Christmas. Mm. It's, 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 it's the... No, it's the Princess Witch. I was about to say the Christmas Prince, but it's <laughs> the other one. It's the Princess mm. Witch. Mm. And they watch the Princess... No. They watch, watch the, the Christmas, Christmas Prince <laughs> in the movie. Oh, that's the, that scene made me want to die. This is a classic. What did you think? <sighs> well, Hugh... I have to be honest with myself and say that um, I would say for the first 50 or so minutes before they go to the orphanage, I had a lot of fun with this. <laughs> the orphanage was amazing. I think it's like, uh, so I would say this film worked on two modes for me. Yeah. One, I thought, it, I thought part of it was genuinely fun. I think Vanessa Hudgens is fun in this. Yes. Another half, I thought it was so bad that I enjoyed it anyway. <laughs> I enjoyed it because it was terrible. I think I agree with you with that. Um, the, the orphanage stuff, like we said. The other, other, other parts, I don't know. I, I really like how cheap the doubling effect is achieved. 
Yes. I especially love that during the climax where all four of the main characters are sort of centered into this main this main room where, you know, if, if you're watching a normal film, it would only make sense that they would share the frame together. But it's just blocked in such a such a way where they don't have to show both of them in the frame together. That, that was really funny. Uh, I thought that the guy who played Prince Edward was uh, true to what I think actual royalty would be, which is to say yeah. he seems like a piece of shit and an arrogant asshole. And... I liked that about him. I thought the end of the movie was pretty boring. <laughs> and I didn't really, I don't really care about the culmination of the romance that much. Uh, but I do like how um, inconsequential and meaningless the uh, rival subplot was. Yet they included it anyway. <laughs> mm. yeah, I thought that was funny. Yeah, basically the rival uh, sabotages her chances at the baking competition by like severing the cord of the electronic mixer. Yeah, but she gets over it. In five seconds. <laughs> it's so funny how quickly they're just like, because you have to do it by hand, and then it's done. Alternatively, they could have gone, sorry, judges, whoever's organizing this. Yeah. The the mixer you've provided but no. has a fault. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I just want to go through a couple of the, the uh, moments of this movie that I really enjoyed, okay? Hmm. So, um, <laughs> probably the, 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 the high point of the movie for me came early... But it was a high that, that sort of set me, put me in the right mood to enjoy this film. Which is after Vanessa Hudgens gives money to this Salvation Army guy. who's like this magical figure who, you know, makes them come together or whatever. Who cares, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so funny. Like, he puts money, she puts money in his, in his bucket and then walks away. And then he's just staring after her. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it looks like he's like checking out her ass like that's the implication you get for his face he's just like staring at her and he's just like Ugh. it's it's great it's really funny <laughs> I like the bit where Vanessa Hudgens is, is like does the duchess wear, always wear this to bed and you know she's wearing this like fancy silk gown or whatever but uh, the moment the thing that I noticed is that she was also wearing like full makeup which I thought was really funny mm. So, I just like the idea of uh, the Duchess always getting makeup on her pillows. Um, I feel like the scene where the, 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 uh, the prince um, knocks on her door and is just like flabbergasted by the sight of her in a nightgown. <laughs> like, this guy seems like he definitely got into, has got into um, some sallow <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> So that's the vibe you get from it anyway. So the, the sight of him faking awesome is not society as stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, this is sort of sallow, creepy smile. Um, but uh, yeah, this is the totally enjoyable. I'm sure I'll forget that I forgot that I watched it three weeks from now. But I, I was not. I, 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 you know, had walked into this movie to be a um, slaughterhouse of pain, but. There was pleasure to be had in it. I think it has it has genuine charm, I think. Mm, I would agree with you. It does seem slightly self-aware, you know. And, and I'm, I'm all here for Netflix's shameless attempt to promote their other properties. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I will say, I didn't think... I, did, I thought it was really annoying when this film did it, but in retrospect, I think it's really funny after we watch the next film. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, so uh, now you summarize, or do you have anything else you're going to say about the Princess Switch? Don't you think it's, like, 
when you actually think about how this movie resolves, which is like the the actual princess goes off with the friend of the baker, isn't it weird? Like, imagine if you were like that guy mm. and like your best friend, you know, who you've never really had romantic feelings for because you never really connected in that way, but you've grown up with her, right? Yeah. You know, she and, and you've worked with her, mm. but you've never been romantic towards her, presumably. Yeah. I don't know if the suggestion is that he had feelings for her anyway, but anyway. Well, but I, I, think, I think that is a suggestion because he does express feelings towards what he thinks is her during that scene, right? Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, it's still kind of weird. Then you end up with someone who's not her, but looks identically like her. Well, I'm sure that, um, you know, he, he tries to keep his mouth shut during sex. And maybe, maybe you know, three years into the relationship, will accidentally say Stacy and everything will be over. It's like from another perspective, like he met a friendly homeless guy on the street <laughs> and he wished that he could fall in love with his best friend if only she had a personality transplant. <laughs> um what do, you, what do you think happened to the bakery at the, end of this, at the end of the movie? I think she was supposed to start up a bakery in Belgravia. I think they say that. Well, Hugh, I guess I, I assume that all of our questions and more will be answered in the sequel to this film, which is currently in production. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Let me, let me see. Um, what is it we, we, can, we can make this an annual tradition. <laughs> I guess not annual because this is come out in 2018 and the next one's coming out next year. I, I don't think I want sequels to this. I just want more films like this. Because, like, this is a story that doesn't go anywhere after that, even though we've, like, questioned the logic you, but, of it. But I have to say, I have to say, Hugh, the, the um, capsule plot does sound enticing. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. The princess switch, Coleman, switched again. In this sequel to The Princess Switch 2018, Duchess Margaret unexpectedly inherits the throne... It's a rough patch with Kevin, so it's up to Stacy to save the day, and this is where it gets interesting. Before a do look like party girl Fiona foils their plans. <laughs> oh, that does sound good. Okay, all right, I take it back. The fact, the fact that there's a third Vanessa Hudgens, we've got a real Gemini man situation on our hands. That sounds amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm here for that. All right. <laughs> anyway, just quickly, I like the idea. Like, if, if, if the her plot in the sequel. Mm. is to switch back, as the title suggests, in order to, like, reignite her relationship. <laughs> that sounds hilarious. Like, she's going to start fucking Kevin. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 she's going to have Kevin's baby, and, you know, the prince is going to be just dismayed at the fact that his children aren't really white. Unless it's revealed that prince is impotent. This is this is if we were writing the, the movie. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, that's the princess switch. I uh, definitely, definitely recommend. Not a, not a especially good film, but one that's very enjoyable. Mm, it is very enjoyable. If you're in the mood for this, it hits the spot, I think. Mm. So the next film we're doing is the more recent uh, Vanessa Hudgens Netflix vehicle, The Night Before Christmas. I'm lonely, that's the conceit. I need a boyfriend to feel Of a night with a K as in Kai to sweep me off my lonely single lady teacher's feet. An adaptation of the children's story of the same name? No. What? In fact, the word night in the title is spelt with a K at the front. Nani? Which means it makes no literal sense. It's like saying the postman before Christmas. Mm, that's true. But anyway, 
Um, so it starts in 1876. What? And Leopold, his grace, the third Duke of Oldham, oh, shut up. is a stifled dreamer. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. So the, the night before Christmas, there's like a night in medieval times. In uh, the 14th century. Okay, in the 14th century. When Edward III, I watched this movie earlier today, so I have okay. a recall of it. His name is Cole, Sir Cole, and, uh, you know, he's riding a horse, <laughs> and he comes across this uh, crone in the forest, mm. and she sends him into the future to fulfill his destiny or whatever. He has to achieve his quest before Christmas Eve, and he doesn't know what the quest is. Maybe it's falling in love with modern-day teacher Vanessa Hudgens. No way. So, uh, he arrives in the future, crosses paths briefly with Vanessa Hudgens' character, who's called Brooke, and is, as I said, a teacher. She, he steps over the brook, if you will. And then the brook runs directly into him in the car later on. Uh, take him to hospital. He's okay, but he seems to be deluded. He seems to think he's like some 14th century knight. What a nutcase. And he's got nowhere to go, so uh, Brooke, the person who hit him with a car, kindly decides to take him in mm. for the time being. And by the time being, I mean like a week. Uh, a full week. Yeah. The week before Christmas. The week before Christmas. And then they fall in love. That's the film. Spoilers. Now, uh, Hunter, what did you make of The Night Before Christmas? Did it live up to the high standards set by the princess witch? <laughs> Well, Hugh, maybe it's in part because I watched this in such cl- close proximity to the Christmas, pr- uh, the Princess Switch. God damn it. <laughs> Did I say the Christmas Prince as well? <laughs> I don't know. At this point, it's, they're, they're the same thing, basically. Hey, let's, let's take a that up. Uh, well, Hugh, maybe it's because I watched this in such close proximity to the Princess Switch, but, but I found this film totally devoid of charm. Hmm. <laughs> and... Uh, more than anything, I thought it was very boring. <laughs> it did not make an impression on me one way or another. I did not find it painful to watch necessarily. Yeah. But I just found myself unengaged and bored. Um, and I'm glad that it was only, even though it was 90 minutes and The Princess Switch was uh, a comparatively long, an hour and 40 minutes, this movie felt... So much longer than that. <laughs> because, it, you know what? Uh, it basically has one joke that it repeats over and over again. Which is, the knight doesn't understand how the crazy modern world works. Uh, and there's no conflict at all. <laughs> he adjusts actually pretty well to modern life. <laughs> <I'll have> to <laughs> um, uh, and uh, uh, there is one scene that I thought was great. Which we'll talk about in a bit. But mm-hmm. everything else I thought was boring and forgettable and it felt like this movie had nothing to it and i have to say this movie is exactly the same movie as a princess switch it feels there's identical plot to it basically it hits the same beats it even has a weird class conscious plot that was yep uh, insufferable oh that was the best bit i love that bit but we'll get to that i thought that, that was really funny uh too but uh the rest of the movie Besides this this undercurrent, the main romance I found charmless. And even though I think that the 
knight in this movie is more attractive than the prince in The Princess Switch. I think he is a worse actor. <laughs> and I found his presence to be uh, wooden and son charisma. But you, what did you think of The Night Before Christmas? Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you on the whole. Mm. I think this is an inferior effort from Netflix. Mm. There is definitely something really flat about this film. <laughs> and it also feels like devoid of life. Like, it doesn't feel like there are actual people in this world. Yeah, definitely not. And even Hudgens, who was one of the strengths of uh, The Princess Witch, seems quite bored throughout this film. Yeah, which, you know what? Fair, Fair enough. enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I were starting in this movie, I would also be very bored. I do want to say that I still found this, like, easily watchable. I agree with you about the fact that it's the same film, but I kind of love how many elements they've carried over from The Princess Switch. Uh, the only part that I thought was really great and funny is when they watch... I, what's the name of the movie? They watched Holiday in the Wild. Yes, the Rob Lowe, um, Kristen Davis romantic comedy? I'm sorry. The Rob, the Rob Lowe, Kristen Davis, neocolonialist. <laughs> yes. Uh, Christmas film. I like the idea of pairing that with something like The Last Face. Yes. Uh, that, that'd be, that's for our uh, neocordialism, American neocordialism special, yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway. So let's, let's continue talking about this movie. I thought that scene was really funny. The... <laughs> the, the hard-working man who is presumably drowning in medical debt. And has four children and works two jobs. He tries to be socially conscious, I should say. Yes. In a similar way to The Princess Switch. And it, um, the scene I thought was especially funny was when... <laughs> I knew that I was going to get into this mode where there's a, there's a hilarious scene where um, the daughter of <laughs> Emmanuel Chigri <laughs> plays Vanessa Hudgens' sister, uh, one of her friends... <laughs> The wine is so funny. I know. I wrote it down to you. I don't know if I'm going to get through without laughing. But she's like... Um... <laughs> Did I get this right? <laughs> I don't know what verbatim. I'm sorry to say. But Emmanuel Chikri's daughter is like, why don't you have any gloves on? And this poor child is like... <laughs> My daddy gets sad when we ask him for two things or something like that. Yeah, that was pretty much it. What's the actual one? I wrote down because daddy gets sad when I ask for new things. <laughs> it's such a such a great great line. And how how are they how how is the 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 condition of this poor man ameliorated here? Via Vanessa Hudgens and Co. and the town chipping in to give them Christmas presents. <laughs> what a, what a kindness. <laughs> I'm sure that this man would wouldn't have preferred to you know like have some paid time off or you know have some of his medical debt forgiven, but but rather just just some Christmas presents for his shitty children. And also the idea of like helping this guy who at least is getting by to some yeah. degree over and above people in much more difficult situations where where money will go further. It's funny that they they brought together uh, all this effort for this one guy as if he's the only person in this in this shitty small town that's suffering. Yeah, yeah, fucking right. Okay. At least at least the princess switch helped a bunch of 
uh, needy people. <laughs> but but I will say that the the aid in it for the switch is less substantial because at least they give this guy an envelope full of money. That's true. Uh, but in the princess, the princess switch, it's just a bunch of shitty like dollar store toys. And and it's their presence at the event is basically it. But this film really does feel like a less substantial version of a Princess Switch. It's got all the same elements pretty much. Yeah, it does. It's got Vanessa Hutchins' character has gone through like a bad breakup. She has kind of shitty encounters with her ex-boyfriend or her shitty ex-boyfriend. But but the, the encounter with the ex-boyfriend is less substantial than the, in the Princess Switch. He doesn't even have any lines. Everything is less substantial. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so weird. she's got a friend who's a single parent with a precocious daughter who wants the best for Vanessa Hudgens yeah. <laughs> for some reason. In um, The Night Before Christmas, it's, it's her sister. And she's not a single mother, but, you know. Is she not a single mother? <laughs> no. Her husband comes back halfway through the film. How did he oh, yeah. yeah she, he was on a business trip. But it's functionally the same. But yeah, there's there's a magical contrivance here. Obviously, it's more substantial than the magic in A Princess Witch, which is just sort of suggested. Yeah, there's actual magic. There's actual magic, and but it is masterminded by like an incidental character who impossibly appears in multiple locations. Mm. And the result of all this stuff is Vanessa Hudgens falling for a posh white British dude again. <laughs> Though, unlike uh, a pri- uh, <laughs> the Princess Switch. Where at least, um, you know, she'll have to be able to leave behind her, I guess, middle class. She owns a bakery. She must be doing pretty well. Existence. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, she is... I don't know how she, she has enough money to afford this house. Maybe she's taking a little money under the the table from her students. <laughs> I did think the subplot with her, her um, student was really annoying. <laughs> 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 I love the scene where... Where because the, 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 the movie opens with basically um, I don't know the student getting a bad grade who cares and Vanessa Hudgens is like blah, 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 don't let your relationship get in the way of your achieving your goals um, just, I thought it was kind of retrograde the way that um, basically she gives the opposite advice to her halfway through the film yeah she's like no I was wrong about that definitely let your relationships get in the way of it. <laughs> I just, I just love the idea of this girl going back to this, like, presumably abusive boyfriend who's, like, <laughs> a chief flex out of school. Good stuff. I think we should also question her actions. Mm. Um, because, I mean, I guess it's not really depicting reality, but <laughs> if you ran into no. somebody in the street, right, who was dressed in medieval armor and you knocked him over in your car, mm. um, they went to hospital, they were cleared of any sort of superficial damage but Mm. it was clear they were suffering from a profound delusion yeah so you the person who hit them with their car take them into your home for a week doesn't appear to bother trying to find out who he is or where he came from presumably this guy has if he was real presumably he has family members looking for him yeah and they don't even have like a cursory line saying we can't find any connections I'll keep an ear out. I kind of, I kind of enjoy how brutal the ending of the movie is too, because there's like a wistful moment where he's like, "I haven't seen my parents and since I was like, you know, since I became a squire, and now he's never going to see his parents again or his brother." No, he doesn't even say goodbye to his parents. He says goodbye no. to his brother, and that's it. Yeah, and, and what, what's going to happen? What, what sort of job could this this bizarre man take? Keep down in, in the present world. I mean, the- he's going to be a cop. Remember. <laughs> 
yeah, I don't know. And I, I just, I just fucking hate the the sort of like cult of chivalric male. Or the idea, the idea that someone who was like a perfect knight in the 14th century would have values that would in any way <laughs> translate to being a good man in the in the 21st century. This movie would be way better if you spoke like middle English and they just couldn't understand it at all. <laughs> yeah, which would be the case. Um, but, you know. Obviously, the film doesn't really explore this. Like, eventually they just accept, oh, maybe he's a prince. Mm. But I, I do like the idea that if, if this actually did happen, like if you were a knight mm. uh, from a previous century and you got catapulted into the future... There's literally no way you could convince anyone that you're not just mentally deluded. There's no way. Yeah. There's nothing you can say because everything is just based on historical record. Yeah. Even if you said things that hadn't been reported, no one can verify if they're accurate. Well, especially if he's just like a, a wall-level knight like that who, who has no like influence on world events, right? No. And he doesn't have like a time machine that he can use to demonstrate his abilities. No. He's just this guy out of time. Yeah. Whereas if you traveled from the future to the past, you can at least predict the future. Yeah, that's true. And show that you can know things that there's no possible way anyone could know. But Yeah, if you're, a, say, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. In, indeed. But I do like the idea of making a film where this does happen and it just you, you just end up being institutionalized. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's kind of what happens in, um, in The Terminator. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did not enjoy this movie. Have you seen the film Kate and Leopold? No. This is very clearly inspired by. But I have seen the time the movie Time After Time, which is similar. But that movie has a, a crazy ending where um, uh, Mary Steve Virgin uh, decides to go back to the um, Victorian era with H.G. Uh, Wells. And, and basically, like, oh, I guess I'll, I'll go to a period before I could vote. <laughs> Please, yes. <laughs> very strange. Um, let's see. What else? I don't have any other notes. Nah, it's pretty, it's not great. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty bad, but not, not so bad. If you only had to watch one Vanessa Hudgens Netflix Christmas film. Wait, obviously watch The Princess Switch. Watch The Prisoner Switch. The Princess Switch. Prisoner Switch. <laughs> that's where, that's where you trade, that's where you trade, uh, Jim Caviezel for, um, what's his name? Patrick McGowan. Patrick McGowan. <laughs> see, I can, I can remember who was in the remake, but not in the original. Neither of which I've seen. Actually, I've seen some of the original Prisoner. The original's great. I've seen like half an episode of the original Prisoner, but I've seen none of the remake. I watch it every Christmas, basically. That's funny. I try to. I never get through it. Have you seen the uh, Simpsons episode that apparently parodies the Prisoner and features Patrick McGowan? I think I've seen the clip of it that looked terrible because it was really late. Simpsons. It wasn't that late. Wasn't it? It was pretty late. It was season 12. Yeah, that's no, bad. How, how many seasons of The Simpsons do you think there have been? No, I mean, like, late in terms of, like, past its prime. Equality, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever told you my story about uh, the Simpsons movie? No. It's not It's not about the Simpsons movie, per se, but about the... Which is, which is I have to say, pretty, pretty much better than you, than the preceding years would have you believe it would be, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. I remember when I watched it, I, f- I felt the same. It's probably you could probably just watch the first eight or nine seasons and then the movie, and that's why all the Simpsons you have to watch, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, as you might imagine, the Simpsons um, had a big av- merchandising campaign with this, right? And as part of it, for at Burger King, they gave out these, you know, like children's meal. Dawes. The Simpsons. Now at Burger King, you can collect 16 talking toys from the new movie. That if you press on the back, it, it said a phrase, right? 
Mm-hmm. And um, there's one um, doll of, of these that my brother got that it was Ned Flanders. Whenever you push on the back, it said, there's always room for one more Flanders, right? Always room for one more Flanders. And my brother tormented me with this doll. <laughs> it, it drove me insane. So um, after, after weeks, after weeks of getting annoyed by him pushing the button and making this doll say this thing, right? Um, we went down to the my parents' beach house, okay. And he put pushed it, and you know what? You I had enough. I waited till he fell asleep, okay. Mm-hmm. I grabbed the this this doll, and I went into the basement and I used an electric drill and destroyed it. <laughs> and then I never had to hear that again. So this happens when you push me too far. What was the fallout? I, I don't remember. Why would you, like, take a drill to it instead of just, like, throwing it away and say, oh, where's it gone? Like, <laughs> I, I was a little psychopath. <laughs> yeah, you were. I went to cause it pain. <laughs> that's, that's funny. How old were you? <laughs> uh, when did the Simpsons movie come out? 2007. So I must have been 13, it seems. Okay. The age when you would do something like that. Your body was changing. <laughs> no. I didn't take it out on Ned Flanders. Um, okay, um, that's it. Are we persisting with Burn Hollywood Burn, or are we opening the vault? <laughs> the, <again>? Burn <laughs> Hollywood Burn is obviously terrible, but I kind of enjoy how how shitty it is. Burn. Burn. That's right, Mama. Burn. Welcome to Burn, Hollywood Burn, this segment in which we look at the box office and also present a bit of news about movies. Let's start with the box office, little theme song. Box office hooray, box office hooray, box office hooray, box office hooray. So the weekend box office uh, in Australia... Mm. Running from the 5th of December to the 8th of December in America from the 4th... No, from the 6th to the 8th. Mm. Sorry. The top grossing <laughs> film uh-huh. in both countries on the count of three. Three, two, one. Frozen, Frozen two. 2. How much money has it made in Australia? 3.7. Mm. Well, in America, made 35.2 million. Is number two knives out? Yep. Here too. Okay. Uh, do you have a news article put up? Because I've got, I've got one. Have you got one? I don't yet. I do have one. You ready? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Tarantino says Kill Bill Volume 3 is definitely in the cards, but it would be years away. What? I have an idea of how that could be interesting, Tarantino tells Andy Cohen. Continue your favorite franchise of all time, I thank you. Ugh. <laughs> um, he's still in talks with Thurman about the project. And if any of my movies are going to spring from other movies, it would be a third Kill Bill. I just had dinner with Uma Thurman last night, Tarantino said Cohen. We were at a really cool Japanese restaurant. <laughs> I do have an idea of what I would do with Kill Bill Volume 3. That was the whole thing, conquering the concept. What happened to the bride since then? And what would I do? want to do now? <laughs> I know that you uh, do not like the Kill Bill movies. I, I like them. So She's not an interesting character. It's not an interesting world. Uh, it's... Whatever, just just it's a it's a style know, know size, and the style wasn't any good. We we know your complaints. We know your complaints. Now let's let's get on to your see that fucking continue. Okay. I'd rather yeah, say yeah. anything. Okay, else. okay. You don't even like Quentin Tarantino. Why do you care? It's not like you're actually have to see it. I am for the podcast. 
Uh, no, you're not. All right, so what have you got? Zola, the first movie based on a viral Twitter thread. What? Will premiere at Sundance. Let me, let me read the backstory from Variety. Mm. In fall 2015, a woman named Asia Wells, nicknamed Zola, told an exaggerated, but not that exaggerated, story of her journey from Detroit to Tampa, Florida, in order to make money stripping. Mm. Wells was conscripted to go to Tampa by a woman named Jessica, whom she met while serving at Hooters. Jessica's boyfriend, Jarrett, and their roommate, nicknamed Z, who turned out to be a violent pimp. What was meant to be an innocent trip of itinerant sex work turned into, in Zola's Twitter version of the story, a dramatic tale of kidnapping highlighted by a shooting and a suicide attempt. The thread went viral, as did the hashtag, hashtag the story, Mm. and was shared by the likes of Missy Elliott, Kiki Palmer, Solange Knowles, Mm -hmm. and Ava DuVernay. Mm -hmm. That Zola story, wild, tweeted Missy Elliott. Ended up reading the whole thing like I was watching a movie on Twitter. Well, now that movie on Twitter will be a movie in cinemas, premiering at Sundance. Wow, sounds great. All right, uh, you ready to do um, bonus features? Yes. Bonus features, bonus, bonus features, bonus features, bonus, bonus features. So I watched a couple of movies. Unlike last week, I, I found a little bit of time to watch movies this week. Uh, I know. Buckle up. Probably, probably more than you did. So I watched a film, a little film. Let's keep this brisk. Called Fantasia. Have you heard of this? The Disney, almost bankrupting Disney animated movie, uh, which is okay. It's, 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 some of the sequences are beautiful and some of them are kind of boring, but overall, definitely worth a watch. Uh, I watched the um, film adaptation, my, uh, Michael Radford's film adaptation of 1984 with John Hurt and Richard Burton, which, um, you know, I don't think you could ever make a film version of 1984 that, unless you like radically changed it, that escapes from the novel. And this one uh, is merely pretty pictures to accompany it. There are some scenes that really work. I think the cinematography is really beautiful. Um, and John Hurt and Richard Burton are great. Um, and But even with that enjoyable texture, I think there's kind of something kind of worthless about it, just in terms of uh, the book being more interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to say, unlike um, perhaps the director's uh, intentions, I really like the Eurythmic soundtrack to this film. So. <laughs> um, it's... it's, it's uh, you know, it's it's a it's it's a decent film, but you know, I don't know. I just struggle with why you should watch it. There's some great. I think it does some interesting things with the design of the you know in sock and the in the society that's de- it's depicting. But I don't know. It just, uh, it doesn't transcend its source material like I think the best adaptations do. Um, and then a mere two days after that. I watched a film called Shoot for the Contents by a director and film theorist named Trenti Minha, um, who's an American Vietnamese um, essayist film professor and essay filmmaker. Um, this film is sort of, it has a Chris Marker-esque um, sort of, it's a picture of China and um, sort of tries to contain the multifaceted nature of, of um, just, you know, this, this eclectic country, uh, in its, you know, two hour running time. And I thought it was really enjoyable. Um, 
And I like sort of the complexity it brings to, um, you know, uh, just to China and um, how it how it tries to contain all of these different viewpoints in itself. Um, and I like that it's not, it doesn't, um, it's neither anti-communist nor does it try to whitewash the terrible things that uh, the Maoist regime has done since achieving power in China. Uh, and I quite liked it. So, shoot for the contents. Pretty rare, so you probably won't be able to watch it. But you should anyway. Put the rattle down. Hmm? Put the rattle down. There's no, there's no rattle. You're just, you're just crazy, bro. Alright, uh, and then I watched one final movie, which is a short documentary that Abel Ferreira made called Talking with the Vampires, which is sort of a, um, you know, um, 20 years... Yeah, no. Moving on. You don't know. Uh, which is a 20 years uh, after the fact sort of interview compilation with the people who worked on his vampire film, uh, The Addiction, um, which is enjoyable. So that's it. What about cool. you, uh, my friend? Well, just so you didn't have to, I watched the buzzy film of the moment, Marriage Story, mm. on Netflix. Well, maybe we'll talk about this film next week. For some Are you going to watch it? Uh, I don't know. I am going to watch some films, I think, to try to catch up for the best of the year. Yeah. Anyway, I'll quickly talk about Mary's story. I do like this category of film, I guess. Like, mm. weirdly, I have an appetite for both goofy fantasies about monogamy and eviscerating portraits of disintegrating relationships, and this obviously fits into the latter category. Kind of resent how uh, visually flat it is, but mm. I did watch it on Netflix, so I guess that was appropriate. Um, I don't think this adds much to the genre or has anything especially new to say, and I think this has been done better elsewhere. Mm. This feels more like a performance showcase than anything else. Um, I did enjoy some of the performances, actually more the supporting roles. Mm. Um, I liked Laura Dern... And uh, Ray Liotta in particular. Mm. And Alan Alda is pretty good as well. And they all play lawyers. And I actually think the legal aspect of this film is probably where it's the most interesting. Mm. Um, so it's been criticised on a social media platform called Twitter for its supposed lopsidedness. The sense that it sides with the man played by Adam Driver. Mm. I mean, maybe that's what the criticism says. I didn't really go into it very much, but that's what I picked up. I feel like I've seen more criticism of the criticism than the criticism itself, so... Maybe I was the same as well. But I just... I don't, I don't care. I don't think it's strictly true that it's, like, siding with one over the other. I don't think that's the perspective of the film, or at least Bombach's intention, that uh, one of the characters' viewpoints on the situation is more valid or anything like that. That's obviously not what he's trying to do. He's trying to make a different point. Mm. And it's deliberately trying not to take sides. It does narratively feel like it's more interested in Adam Driver's side of the story. Mm. Well, maybe that's what more people were responding to then. Maybe. I don't know if the film actually spends more time on his side of the story, but it did feel that way to me. I think the film would have been stronger if, if Johansson's half of the story was stronger. Mm. Though, again, I don't think the film would be that great even still. It's watchable, but as I said, it's been done better elsewhere. That's Marriage Story. Didn't you hear a tweet, a funny tweet I just read? 
Hmm. Apparently, Noah Baumbach had to write Madagascar 3 in order to pay for his own divorce. <laughs> Was that actually true? I, I read that I, somewhere I don't know well. if it's true or not, but I like that idea. <laughs> I think that, mm. that's funny if it's true. Because I know that he, I think he wrote more than one of them. That should have been in this film, then. <laughs> That'd be great. That's, that's, that sounds better than what I watched. Well, but I mean, obviously he's not, trying to, he's not trying to, you know, he doesn't want to be that direct about autobiography, right? But that would be great. Like, how yeah, could, like, that's such funny. a good fact. That'd be so funny. And like he's like Adam Driver arguing, like I have to write this fucking Madagascar <laughs> shit because of you. Um, the other film I watched was a little film called Atlantics. I thought this was very impressive, uh, even leaving aside its pedigree as a debut feature and the first film directed by a black woman to be in competition at Cannes, let alone win anything. This film actually won the the Grand Prix at the most recent Cannes Festival. So Matty Diop is the director, and she's perhaps best known prior to this film as the star of Claire Denis' 35 Shots of Rum. You do actually feel the influence of Denis, or at least a similar sensibility, especially in the lyrical, sometimes elliptical manner in which the story unfolds. There are certainly echoes of Beautrevet, I thought, but... Diop has a very distinct voice, and I like the way the narrative gradually incorporates the supernatural. The film was inspired by an earlier documentary short that Diop had made, which focused on... uh, It was like a group of Senegalese men who attempt like a dangerous boat journey to find a better life. And like there's a similar event that, that haunts this film, but I don't want to speak too much about it if you're intending to see it. And also, I have nothing else to say. Project A plus, that was Project A plus. Project A plus, that was Project A. Plus. Project A plus, featuring the both of us. Project A plus, now it's time to say thanks very much. Please stay in touch. Otherwise, we might lose the will to fight. Then we'll close down our Hope you get that dream job Maybe meet a handsome guy We pray to God that you'll find happiness Before you die Oh, friend, oh.